religious acts of worship are the normal ones, the ordinary ones. Like when we go for a routine thing like a jog and plug in earphones to a Christmas carol and just beam at the words that it's telling us. Did, did you recognize the song in that video? It's the song, O Holy Night, a, a, a Christmas carol written many, many years ago by a man named Placide Capot. Uh, if you don't know the words to it, last week our lead pastor during his message, Dan Meyer, actually sang it to us. <laughs> and after he was done singing, my wife Allie leaned over to me and she goes, wow, Dan can sing. <laughs> and then she kind of sat back in her chair and I could see her sort of nervously looking at me. And then she leans back over and she goes, you know I think you're great, right? <laughs> and I started sort of smiling nervously. And I nod my head thinking, it was probably not the end of the sentence. And she leans back over and she goes, but please don't embarrass yourself by doing that next week in front of everyone. <laughs> so yeah, I've heard a thing for the fact that you won't have to endure my incredibly subpar vocal cords this morning. I'm not gonna sing it for you. Uh, I'm not gonna sing the words for you, but I do wanna share with you from that carol some of those most meaningful lines, some, some of the lines that hit home for me most. It goes like this, it says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And then the crescendo hits and the vocals get a little bit louder and the music gets a little bit more intense as the song belts out, fall on your knees. It's this beautiful, bone-chilling line. But what does it mean? What does it mean? I think there are two big questions, two main questions that, that, that hang over people's heads and sort of haunt them day after day when they contemplate the nature of God, the things of God. Who, what he's all about. The two questions, one, is he really there? Is he there? I mean, does he actually exist? Is he out there somewhere? And the second, is he for me? Is he, is he the opposite of against me? Is he actually for me? Does he have my best interest at heart? Is he on my team? Is God there? And is he for me? You see, if you went and observed our current world today, if you went out and just took a, took a picture and observed what's going on in people's lives in the end of 2022, how things are going, how relationships are going, etc., I would bet that you possible that you might come back and think that absolutely the answer to those two questions is emphatically no and no. Because if you've been to the funeral of a loved one recently, or if you're dealing with declining physical health, or if you've experienced an incredibly broken relationship, or if you're struggling with mental health, or if you live in a constant state of exhaustion, or if you're miserable at work, or if you turn on the nightly news and hear all the bad things that are happening, or if you've been on social media even like once in your entire life, then I would not blame you 
if you are at least hesitant to answer yes to either or both of those questions. You see, because if we're honest with ourselves when we look around at the world around us, so often it feels like God is not there. And even if he is, well, he's definitely not for us then. It's a world that can feel so, so hopeless. You know, the, uh, the world of the very first Christmas was the exact same way. It was dark, broken, hurting, and seemingly hopeless. But there was a handful of people. There were a few specific people at that time of the original Christmas story who caught on to the fact that there might be something more to the story. They caught on to the fact that there might actually be reason for hope in the midst of all of this darkness. And so as we contemplate these big questions, is God there and is he for me? I think it might be helpful to turn to the stories of those handful of people who were there back in the original Christmas story. You see, last week we turned to the story of a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. And we learned from their story and through their experience that there is actually hope in the midst of darkness for the fact that God is there. And this week we turn to the story of a woman named Mary and see if we can figure out from her story the answer to the question, is God really for me? Is he actually at work on my behalf? It's possible you're familiar with the story of Mary. Our scriptures pick up her story as she's a teenager. She's a virgin engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And all of a sudden, an angel by the name of Gabriel appears to her. And the angel appears to her and he greets her and he tells her that she is highly favored by God. And then he goes on to explain what's about to happen because of that. He says that she's going to become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit and that she's going to give birth to a son and that son is going to be named Jesus. And this Jesus, the angel says, is going to be the son of God and the savior of the world. Whoa. When I was in college, uh, the most famous person on our college campus was the football coach. You see, football was the premier sport at the school that I went to. And so therefore, the coach was the premier figure at the school. And so my buddies and I, one day we attended an event. And as we're leaving the event that afternoon, heading out through the doors, I hear a voice from behind me and it says, hey, Charlie, Charlie. I, I sort of lazily turn around thinking, I wonder who's calling my name. And I see the head football coach darting right for me. And so naturally, I, I start to turn around to everyone around me thinking, okay, there has to be another Charlie around here that he's talking to because it's definitely not me. But he keeps, he's locked on me and he keeps coming closer and closer until we're standing right next to each other. He reaches out again and says, hey, Charlie. And I freeze. And my jaw starts to quiver a little bit as I work to eke out any sort of words. I say, uh, 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 are you talking to me? 
and his eyes light up. He's got this biggest smile on his face. He reaches out and says, yes, of course, I'm talking to you. You see, when I read the scriptures and I read the story of the encounter and the engagement between the angel Gabriel and a teenager named Mary, it seems to me that the interaction went a lot like my interaction with that football coach. The angel gets to Mary, appears to her, and greets her. And then I'd imagine she starts to look around and think, are you talking to me? Me? Are you sure? I mean, this makes absolutely no sense to her, what he's telling her. I mean, on one hand, on the practical level, it makes absolutely no sense to her because she knows she's a virgin and there's no possible way that she's become pregnant with a child. She took biology 101. She knows how this stuff works and this is not possible. It makes no sense to her. But it also makes even less sense to her because Mary, at least she, as she imagines it in the scheme of her place in the world, she feels like a nobody like an absolute nobody. She's relatively poor, not much of a family name, and by all accounts, just incredibly ordinary. So it makes no sense to her that God would choose her. But the angel insisted. The angel insisted that God had chosen her. He insisted that God didn't see her as a nobody or someone to be swept away or disregarded. No, just the opposite. God saw her as worthy, so worthy that he had chosen her to carry and give birth to his one and only son, the savior of the world. The angel insisted to Mary that God was for her. And so as he's telling Mary all of these things that are about to happen to her, Gabriel also slips in the fact that Elizabeth in her age is pregnant as well. And, 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 and so this shocks Mary and she thinks, I got to go see Elizabeth. So she turns around and it seems pretty quickly goes and meets Elizabeth to see if that's true for herself. And she gets to Elizabeth and they both react to the fact, they both see the fact that, that they have something in common, that they both are pregnant. And they rejoice. Elizabeth's baby actually does a flip inside its womb at the sight of Mary. And Elizabeth cries out in awe and wonder at what God is doing in their life. Two ordinary women in a society in which they would have had no social influence, no social capital. They, they, they wouldn't have been held by the world in high esteem or, or been thought of in any sort of high way. And yet God chooses them. And he takes their seemingly lowly story and elevates it elevates it so high that it's now part of his grand story. Cole Arthur Riley 
observes the story of Advent. And she says it like this. She says, in the Advent story, Zechariah can't speak. Joseph doesn't speak. While the words of Mary and Elizabeth are unapologetically centered. She goes on to conclude. The sound of Advent is the voice of women. And and these women whose stories have been elevated, who God has specifically chosen, they rejoice because they start to recognize that they're actually part of something far greater than themselves that they are now part of God's story, that they are part of the coming light into this world, the the hope and the redemption and the restoration of all that's broken and undone. They recognize that they are part of a bigger story because God is at work in them. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller says this as he reflects on the fact that God is at work in Mary and Elizabeth. He says, never, ever, ever, ever think that God's not working, no matter how much it seems like he's absent. And at the same time, never, 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 never think you're going to be able to figure out for a long time what he's up to. You see, Mary and Elizabeth, the angel did not tell them how the story was going to end. Gabriel did not. Tell Mary what was going to come of this newfound adventure with these unexpected pregnancies. But they knew that it was good because they knew it was from God and they knew that God was for them. You see, the story of Christmas, the story of the coming of Jesus, the story of hope and redemption and restoration making its way into our world. For Mary and Elizabeth, that story was their story. They were part of it. And you know what's crazy? If you're like Mary and Elizabeth, feeling like an ordinary nobody, or broken, hurting, or in desperate need of hope, then it's your story too. It's your story too. Because it's the story of how God is at work in this world, of how God is still God. And he has chosen you and he has chosen me and invited us in to be part of this grand story of the light coming into the darkness of redemption and restoration. It's a story that tells us that God is for you and he's for me. Mary starts to process all of this information. Everything that the angel is telling her as well as these conversations that she's having with Elizabeth. And then she responds. She responds in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. 
she looks up to heaven and just cries out. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Mary responds. Mary processes all the things that are happening and then she goes forth and responds. And she responds as she, as she seems to recognize what I think Capot in his carol summarizes so well, that a new and glorious morn is breaking. So how does she respond to that? She responds in these 10 verses in a way that I think Capot summarizes so well in just one line. She responds by falling on her knees. By falling to her knees and worshiping God. The text tells us that her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in him. It tells us that she, she, she rejoices and she sings out in awe and wonder and praise for who God is. The one who gives food to the hungry, the one who lifts up the humble, the one who extends mercy, the one who does not forget his servant. And she sings out in praise and glory to that. But the most of all, she praises him for the fact that God has chosen her. She praises him for the fact that he is for her. He is for her. This is how Mary responds. The whole story of how God is at work, how he's chosen her, how he's for her, how he's, how he's inviting her to be part of this restoration and redemption in this world. Her whole story if that same thing is true of us, if God has chosen us, if he is for us, if he has invited us to be part of the coming of the light into this world, the restoration and the redemption of all things made new, if that same story is our story too, then why do we not respond like Mary did? at least I'll speak for myself. Why is it so hard for us to respond to the majesty and the wonder of how God is moving in this world? Why is it so difficult for us to respond that way by falling to our knees in worshiping him like she did? What gets in the way of us doing that? 
I think there are two things. This is not an exhaustive list, but I think there are two main things. The first thing that hinders our ability to do that, that gets in the way of us worshiping God with all that we have and responding to him like Mary does, is just our pride. You see, we can't recognize the wondrous ways in which God is actively moving in our life and around our life. Because we're too busy being God. I mean, we're too busy playing God. We're too busy acting as God. You see, so frankly, we don't need to recognize how he's at work in this world, how his light is coming in the darkness, because we've kind of got it all covered. We've got this whole thing taken care of. We are handling it perfectly fine. But as Pastor Charlie Dates aptly reminds us, God will not have competition with any other God, including you. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we love being in control. We love being the smartest person in the room. We love having all the answers. We love being the one who gets all the credit. And our pride manifests itself in that and so many other ways. It manifests itself in the way we think of ourselves above others, our, our superiority, and, and even our, the, the, the way in which we're skeptical of things. Theologian Dallas Willard many years ago recognized the fact that this is the case. And he says, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. He concludes, you can be almost as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. You see, our culture does well to share with us that, that we are actually the ones with the answers. We are solving all the problems. You see, and we're too busy doing that. We're too busy having all the answers and we're too busy working too hard to solve all the problems, to have any idea and any ability to recognize that God is actually moving and working in our lives and in the world, to behold the wonder and the majesty and the awe of what he might be up to. You see, it's our pride that completely blinds us to being able to see the awe and the wonder of the ways that God is at work in this world. And the second thing that gets in the way is our shame. There's no way God has chosen me, we think. There's absolutely no way that God is at work for something good in me. Doesn't he know me? Doesn't he know where I've been? Doesn't he know what I've, been, what I've done? Doesn't he know what's been done to me? Doesn't he know how broken I am? Doesn't he know the thoughts that go in the back of my mind that I never say out loud? There's no way that God has chosen me. And if he has, then it's definitely a mistake. That's the voice of shame that tells us over and over again, does everything it can do to share with us that we are broken, that we are battered, that we are stained, and that we are unworthy. And it pounds us down far into the ground until at some point we are so low that we are completely blind to the fact that God might actually be doing a good work in us. 
that this story of hope and restoration is for us too. We're blind to that by our shame. But Mary wasn't blinded by either of those things. She wasn't blinded by pride or by shame. Neither of those inhibited her from recognizing and responding to the incredible movement of God in her life and in the world around her. So what made Mary so different? Why is it that she was able to see and respond in this way? I think it was her humility. I think it was her humility. You see, Mary recognized one thing. She recognized that she is not the center of the story. No, Jesus was the center of the story. So that actually freed her up to acknowledge that she was broken and revel in the fact that Jesus keeps throwing mercy and grace at her. And acknowledge the fact that she was lowly and revel in the fact that Jesus continues to lift her high. It was her humility, nothing more, nothing less, that allowed Mary to fall on her knees and worship in awe and splendor and wonder what God was doing in her life. Charles Spurgeon, theologian and pastor many years ago, says it this way. He says, God doesn't need your strength. He has more than enough of power on its own. No, he asks your weakness. For he has none of that himself. You see, it's in our weakness, in our acknowledgement of our weakness, in our acknowledgement of God's strength, in our acknowledgement of our lowliness, in our acknowledgement of God's ability to lift high. It's in our humility that we begin to actually see and recognize the story that God is writing in this world. One that includes us and one that has hope and restoration and redemption written all over it. And once you start to grasp hold of that, once you start to really cling to that, This idea that God chooses people like you and me and Mary and Elizabeth, that that he calls us, that he invites us in to part of his grand story and that he is for us. Once you start to grasp hold of that, then you posture yourself like Mary did. You see, in our pride, We come before God and we stand before him, chest out, head held high. And in our shame, we cower before him, hiding our face, not wanting him to see us at all. But in our humility, like Mary, we actually fall on our knees in front of him. We worship him 
in awe and wonder and splendor at the majesty that he is doing in and through and around our lives. We come to him just like this, in the good times and the bad. And when we're writing an email and when we're going on a run, giving him all that we are and all that we have to offer. We worship him by falling on our knees. Is this the posture of your life? Have you this Christmas season or will you fall on your knees before Jesus, no matter your circumstance. When the angel appeared to Mary, he told her three things that he knew to be true of God. He said, the Lord is with you. There will be no end to his rule and not a word that comes from God will be impossible. Friends, those three things are true. And so how else should we respond than in humility to fall on our knees before Jesus? Because hope is coming. The baby Jesus is on his way. Please pray with me. God, we come before you just like this. On our knees in worship, humbly acknowledging who we are and who you are. And God, we thank you for writing the story that you're doing. We thank you for writing the story of hope and light and redemption and grace and peace in the midst of darkness and chaos and disorder. And above all else, God, we thank you for choosing us, for being for us, and for inviting us into this great story. How else then may we respond than in the words of Capo to fall on our knees? Amen. <laughs>